All year we're focusing on learning the way of Jesus, and today we're finishing a sermon series called Redeeming Regular Life. And I hope that this series has been helpful for you. This series has been from the epistles or the letters in the New Testament in the Bible, from the apostles of Jesus to the various Christian churches around the Roman Empire as they were emerging in this, uh, the first century AD. Now, part of these letters address uh, how the basic relationships ought to work in our lives, which includes our marriage, in marriage, in parenting, at work, and so on, in lots of different areas of our lives. But the apostles wrote on these things um, um, this, this wasn't new instruction on these types of basic relationships, but the apostles wrote on these things from a uniquely Christian perspective, showing how the gospel and the way of Jesus changes everything. Now today, as we bring this series to a close, um, first of all, I apologize, because there are probably lots of other areas of re regular life that I would love to uh, cover, and we just have run out of time in this series. So, so fear not, we will continue to talk about learning the way of Jesus in the new year, and there are many other things to talk about. But we'll finish this series by looking at Frankly, a much easier topic to stomach than talking about redeeming politics like we did last week, I think. However, even though this is an easier topic for us to talk about, makes us less squirmy perhaps, it really is just as difficult for us to do as it is to try to apply our faith to our politics. That is, our desperate need to establish and maintain healthy Christian friendships. In all the busyness of life, in the chaos of life, and kids, and work, and everything else happening in our lives, but also with the mobility of people today, of being able to move from house to house, or from city to city, or state to state, just in the regular course of, of life, all these things make it hard for us to form deep and lasting friendships. And it's ironic, frankly, that we live in an age of social networking where we might have hundreds or even thousands of people that we're connected to online who supposedly are our friends. And yet many of us, maybe more than ever, struggle to maintain even one real friendship where we feel like we can be vulnerable and be our true self with someone else. Now this is especially true because even though most people get married, as we've said in this series, not everyone is called to be married in life, and not everyone who gets married stays married for various reasons. And so this means that understanding friendship is even more of a universal need than understanding how marriage ought to work, as important and valuable as that is as well. So whether you're married or you're single, uh, whether you're married or one day might be single, everybody needs friends. Every one of us needs friends. But how does the gospel and the way of Jesus redeem or change our idea of friendship and our practice of friendship in actual regular life? Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to the, the brief letter of Colossians, chapter three, starting with verse one. Uh, if you are looking it up in a paper analog Bible, you can look it up in the table of contents. Uh, it's Colossians is easy to miss. Uh, but this is a longer passage, and so what we're going to do today, normally we'd read through it and then go back. We're going to break it up into four parts. And so first this morning, we are going to look at who we, are, who we are in Christ. Second, what we are called from in relationship with others. 
Third, what we are called to in relationship to others. And fourth and finally, what these relationships produce. What is the fruit of healthy Christian friendship? So first, who we are in Christ. Who are we? Verse one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now let's pause here. So Colossians, we might recall the context of what we're reading. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in and around the city of Colossae in modern Turkey. And Paul might have known some of the believers there, but he hadn't personally ministered in Colossae as he had in other places, in Philippi and Ephesus and so on. Back in chapter one, he writes saying that that the Colossians first heard the gospel through a man named Epaphras. In chapter two, Paul says that his goal in writing to them was, despite not really knowing most of them probably, was that they might be encouraged in heart united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul has some lofty goals for his brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae. So our passage today starts off with a reminder of this mystery, that is, our union with Christ the risen king who is our life. Now, Paul is writing here to Christians, not to those who are considering the Christian faith, although if that describes you, I'm glad that you're here this morning. I think you'll learn a lot about Christianity this morning. But Paul says that we Christians have been raised, have been raised with Christ. But then he says that we will not appear in glory until Jesus returns. Then we will also, he says, appear with him in glory. Now this speaks, this duality of already and not yet, this speaks to the nature of the kingdom of God between the first and second comings of Christ. For the Christian today, the instant that you hear and believe the gospel, you can be assured that you have already gone from death into life in Christ. You have already been completely justified and forgiven for your sins. And as Paul says here, you've been united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. So from one perspective, we have already been raised with Christ. Paul says it a little different in his letter to the Philippians, that even though we might be citizens still of the kingdoms of this world, we are now in Jesus, citizens of heaven. We have a new nature, a new identity, a new self. However, at the same time, we are in this age not yet able to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God and the glory and perfection, as he says here, that we will enjoy after Jesus returns and this age comes to an end. So we are already justified, but we are not yet fully sanctified or made holy. We are not yet bodily resurrected, and this is not yet heaven. You can say amen. 
So it is this in-between stage of life or age of the, the salvation history that we find ourselves in today, already and not yet. Paul calls us to remember who we are in Christ. So even though you do not fully enjoy the glory that you one day will, and even though today we still wrestle with sin and struggles in the flesh, and even though we still face pain and hardship here and now, Paul says that we must set our hearts, set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, but of the things of heaven. Now, this is a uniquely Christian perspective. This isn't, this isn't, um, this isn't a Buddhist understanding of uh, rising above the things of this earth into some sort of state of beyond. Um, this, uh, typically, the worldly perspective is much different here. The world believes that if we must, that we must eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The worldly perspective is one with no view of spiritual realm or of any hope uh, in the promises of God for our future, uh, or really of any understanding of life after death. Now, without this heavenly perspective, all people have to pursue is what they think will make them happy here and now. And that is how many people live today. And yet Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all of the earthly things that you need will be given to you as well. So for Christian friendships, we must keep this already and not yet perspective, this heavenly perspective in view as the context for our friendship of who we truly are in Christ. Now, this means so many things, but one thing that this means is that in Christ, what we have in common with other Christians is far greater than what we have in terms of differences. Now, if we agree on who Jesus is, then the most important thing that we believe and the most important aspect of who we are is exactly the same. Now, this matters so much more than any other opinion or preference or cultural difference or affinity that we might have with other people. Paul is not speaking to individual Christians here, but to the church. He says, since you all, he, y'all, plural, <laughs> since you all have been raised with Christ, set all of your hearts on things above. This is a calling for us and it is for this reason that everything that follows in this passage is directly tied to what type of relationship that we ought to have in the church. Who we are in Christ and our union with him changes everything because it is the true source of freedom and joy and abundant life out of which everything else flows. Both what we are called from in our relationships with each other and what we are called to in our relationships with one another. Well, let's continue on with this as the cornerstone of the rest of this passage. Let's continue with what we are called from, starting in verse five. Paul writes, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, 
malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Now let's pause here. Again, this is what we have been called from or saved from this way of life which does not lead to life but leads away from life toward division, toward destruction, despair, and eventually to death. In the previous section, Paul started with a reminder of who we are in Christ, but in the not yet aspect of God's kingdom that we find today, we're still tempted by many evil things. Now, I I truly love how realistic the Bible is about sin and temptation. It doesn't sweep our problems under the rug, but it has a clear-eyed view of what is, sadly, possible, even for one who has been raised with Christ. But at the same time, it doesn't leave us to remain stuck and wallow in our sin and struggle. We have a path out. God loves us just as we are today, but he loves us too much to leave us where we are today. Now, this is where some people misunderstand the love of God because a modern worldly perspective on love is that if you love someone, you must affirm everything that they ever think, say, or do. But this is simply not true. You can and should. I would hope you would at times disagree with someone you love, even me, because we all have blind spots in our lives and we need instruction, we need correction, and at times we need a loving rebuke. This is one of the most important aspects of Christian friendships in this in-between age that we live in. It would be the height of unloving to be able to see where your friend is sinning or struggling and refuse to lovingly, gently, respectfully draw their attention to it. The you-do-you attitude today doesn't work when we are supposed to be helping one another to grow and mature in our character and faith. So the seriousness of this calling is felt in the metaphor that Paul uses. We are to put to death whatever belongs to this earthly nature in the flesh. Paul gives two directions, two different directions of possible temptations here in our relationships, including inappropriate desires and harmful or destructive attitudes and speech toward other people. Now, these things need to die. We cannot play with them. They aren't cute. If they aren't put to death, then they act as a poison, killing our love, our joy, and our peace within ourselves and in other relationships. This is why God's wrath is against these things, because they harm the people that he loves. Seeing others as objects for our pleasure or our scorn might be normal in the ways of this world, but this is not our way. Paul imagines our old self to be like an old coat that needs to be taken off and thrown away and the new self in Christ as a new coat which needs to be put on and worn. This new self is being renewed in knowledge, he says, in the image of its creator. As God does the work that he has promised to do, and as the power of the Holy Spirit bears new fruit in our lives, 
And as we are sanctified or made holy by the truth of God's word, Jesus says, we become more and more like Christ. And it is this work, this work of God, that Christian friends are called to join. Not only that we might avoid a worldly way that we are called from in Christ, but also that we might see the work that God is doing in the lives of our friends and get excited about it and encourage it and gently step in when we see them start to go back to the ways in which they used to walk. So first, who we are in Christ changes everything. We are raised, we are made new, we are born again, we are alive, and everything else in the Christian life flows out of that, including what we are called from, but also, as we'll see here, what we are called to as well. So let's move on to this. Part three, what does this new self look like when we put on the life of Christ? Look back at verse 11, let's continue. Paul writes, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if anyone, any of you, has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, so first we have, we find that we have a radical unity despite our differences. Unity in diversity. All the old boundary lines of who you could or should be friends with are destroyed, they're dissolved in Christ. Jew and Gentile, these are ethnic barriers. Circumcised or uncircumcised, these are religious barriers. Slave and free, these are class barriers. But we could add other barriers as well that are regularly used to try and divide us and destroy our love for our neighbor. Whether it's gender or political affiliation or nationality or race or income or whatever. Now, as we've said, the most important thing about our identity, about who we are, is now the same in Jesus because, as Paul says, Christ is all and is in all of his people. Therefore, as a result of this new unity among diversity, uh, this, this way of life, of friendship with people that you wouldn't maybe normally be friends with, is a byproduct or the fruit of the gospel, as God's chosen people, as God's elect, who are holy and dearly loved, what a description, by the way, that is how God thinks of you, therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, isn't this the, a description of someone that you'd want in your life? Isn't this the type of person you'd like to work with or you'd like to catch up with at the end of the, a long day? Well, Paul says this is what a godly friendship is like. But this isn't heaven yet. So he continues, again, very realistic, clear-eyed view of what these friendships will require when he says that we ought to, how we ought to behave when sin enters a Christian friendship. He says, bear with one another and forgive one another if you have a grievance with someone. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now again, this reflects the beginning of our passage in that if the gospel is true and if we have been forgiven for all of our sins because of the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, then we who believe in him and believe that he rose from the dead ought to be people who forgive. We ought to freely forgive and quickly forgive. Now, just a note on verse 13, we get two different one another commands here in this section of of the scripture, of the letter. There are dozens of one another commands in the New Testament. And these are for the church and relationships that we enjoy within the church. Bear with one another. Forgive one another, Paul wrote. Here, love one another. He talks about love in this passage. But love one another is the most commonly one another repeated one another commandment in the New Testament. There are many others as well. Pray for one another and so on. And these commands all flow out of who we are in Christ and the command to love your neighbor as yourself. But they find special power in the context of Christian friendships. One of the things that suffered most, I believe, during COVID, besides physical health, obviously, was the quality of relationships with people outside of our homes. It's almost impossible to be faithful to do these various one another commands in the Bible when you are isolated and lonely. Now, I go so far to say that you can't live a fully Christian life all by yourself on your own. There is too much of an emphasis on the need for loving relationships, both with God and with other people. We need friends. We need friends to be faithful to these commands to us and us to them. We need friends because it never goes well for us, for human beings, when we're on our own. Even in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, God said it was not good for the man to be alone. We were made for community, which certainly includes family relationships, but also friendships as well. So again, out of the headwaters of the new life that we have in Christ flows a new understanding of what we have been called from and what we are called to since we have been raised with Christ. Now, Paul finishes this section of his letter by describing what these Christian friendships, what this type of Christian community produces, and what is the result or what is the fruit of all of this. We'll look at verse 15. This is part four. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, the fruit of healthy Christian friendships The fruit of relationships in the church is gratitude and peace. Why? Because of the life-giving message of Christ, which is the gospel. That is at the heart of everything that we do. Paul says, let it dwell among you richly. And then 
he gives a couple examples of how this works. This happens when we live in accordance with the gospel. For example, forgiving one another as God has forgiven us in Christ. Uh, or by refusing to give in to sinful anger or deceitful speech. When we live in line with our lives in alignment with the gospel and the way of Jesus, this is something that results in a harvest of righteousness and peace and, I, and gratitude when we experience that in relationship. But this also happens when, Paul says, we teach and admonish one another. We might do this in preaching. We might do this in conversation, maybe informally with a friend over coffee or maybe in a slightly more formal setting in a ministry group or a community group in someone's home. But we also do this when we sing together. He says, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, this is interesting to me as someone with a musical background. I think that one of the things that this means is that we, we can let the gospel dwell among us with richness and depth by regularly singing together. There are few things which unite people as quickly and as effectively as making music together. Often musicians will describe it as almost a certain magic that happens when you play or sing together. Now, it doesn't say it here, but I believe that God created music uh, one of the reasons God created music was for this reason, to unite friends together. Um, so not only does singing together allow us to sing to God with gratitude and praise in our hearts as an act of worship to him, but it also unites us together at, at the heart level as we glorify God together with one voice. But it goes beyond music, too. Paul finishes in verse 17, zooming out and saying, listen, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, this means that for the Christian, the whole of life ought to be an offering of worship. Everything that we do in life, serious or silly, Hard working or resting can be done for the glory of God. Of responding to the glory of God with thanksgiving and praise and obedience to learn the way of Jesus and help others do the same. And also as an overflow of abundant blessing that we have received as well. So this morning as we close today, let me ask you a few questions. Do you have any friendships that could be described like this? In a marriage, friendship is certainly part of the relationship between a husband and wife. Is your marriage like this? If you're not married, uh, do you have friends like this? If you are married, do you have friends like this who aren't your spouse? Now, of course, Christians must love and have friendships with people outside of the church. This is just a part of loving our neighbor, not necessarily with the qualification that they have to be in the church. But do you have other believers who you know and who know you? Do you have other people who you can be vulnerable with and you can trust or grow in trust over time? Do you have people who can remind you of who you are in Christ when you get down in a funk because we still live in the not yet nature of this world? 
Do you have people who can correct you when you are wrong or who can encourage you with the truth of God's word when you are down or discouraged or feeling even in despair? Finally, do you have people who can join you in the same song of worship that is your life? This is what we were created for. But even more so, friends, this is what we will enjoy forever. Remember, Jesus taught that in the new heaven and earth, marriage will no longer be a thing. That is a part of this age that we live in today. What this means is that healthy Christian friendships today foreshadow every relationship that we will have and enjoy in the kingdom of God, in the eternal reign of our future. We'll have a day in the kingdom of God when Christ, who is our life, appears. And then we also, as eternal friends, as brothers and sisters, for sure, but as eternal friends will appear with him in glory. Come quickly, Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are taught in this world that other people exist for our benefit. We are shown all the time that if someone gets in our way or is opposed to us or disagrees with us in some way, that we need to cut them out of our lives and we need to ignore them or hate them or try and destroy them in some way. And Father, this just could not be further from the truth of your word here. But Lord, this is not yet heaven and we still struggle with sin and blind spots and difficulties and hardships. We live in an age of busyness and and just frantic energy and work, scrambling to try and get ahead in life or to get ahead in work or just to keep up with all of the chaos. So Father, I pray for your help because we need it. Lord God, would you give us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the ability to slow down, remember who we are in Christ, put on the new self that is created to be like him, and reach out in love and affection and in friendship to the people that you have put around us in our lives. Lord, if there's anyone here that just feels especially lonely, even in this Christmas season of joy, I pray that you would provide for them people who can come alongside them and be friends with them. Not in a simplistic way or in some trite way, but in a way that would reflect the glory and the love and the life of Christ walking in flesh and bones beside them. Would you comfort those who are lonely? Would you strengthen us in our commitment to one another? And God, would you help us to grow in our ability to be friends, healthy, godly friends with one another? For your glory, Lord, and until the day of your appearing, which we cannot wait to see. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.